Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pain to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Jagoris, and every single week we bring on entrepreneurs to help you guys save time and level up on your journey so that you can experience less pain and more quickly get to profits. And today, I'm actually incredibly excited. I'm fanboying out a little bit over here. I got Nick Huber, aka Sweaty Startup, if you guys know the handle on Twitter, who's literally in 24, less than 24 hours, he put out a post on Twitter and we scheduled a podcast. And today we're going to share his story on how he's gone from pain to profits. We're going to talk more about scaling your Twitter as an asset and building content as an entrepreneur. And we're going to talk more about tactical mindset and strategy on how to go from being an entrepreneur to being an entrepreneur. And then we're going to talk a lot about the companies uh, that he's building now and kind of his vision for the future. And now that he's a Yoda on the uh, entrepreneurial journey, uh, what wisdoms he's thinking about in kind of the next era of entrepreneurship as we go through this $96 trillion wealth transfer as the baby boomers kind of exit. And the next gen guys like me and Nick kind of take over the home as the thought leaders in entrepreneurship. So without further ado, Nick, welcome to the show, bro. How are you? Samson, thanks for having me. I think, uh, um, first of all, I, I love your mission and, and we think about this, we think about a lot of things the same way and we have a lot of the same goals. So I think this will be a great conversation. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, one of the things I appreciate about you the most is this just very simplistic outlook on entrepreneurship, which is doing simple things, you know, common things, as you say, consistently, right. Mm-hmm. For an unreasonable amount of time. So, so long that it would be unreasonable for you to not be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you've done a very good job of communicating that message and inspiring a lot of people to just kind of go all in on entrepreneurship. But from what I've gathered, that might not always be the case. You know, I don't, I don't know if you were always an entrepreneur and I'm actually more interested in that personally about who are you and how'd you get to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, before we went live, you were telling me your story of how you, um, you know, same, you know, direction, same end goal that I'm in, but you know, the path of, of working with a company to build divisions and, and kind of grinding your head against, against a grindstone inside of a business. And, um, while I started my own, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference there. Like you can, um, I see a lot of people who do really, really well and get their start without the risk, but the same sort of uncomfort, the same, uh, you know, the grind. I mean, the, the pain, this, this is real. Like I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. I think I'll never be comfortable like ever. Um, it's like, if I'm not doing uncomfortable things, then, then my life is not growing and moving forward. So, you know, while the stakes are going up and and I'm influencing more and more people and doing more fun things and making more money now, um, I've always been since the beginning, um, uncomfortable and in pain. So here we go. Yeah. I mean, were you one of those, were you one of those guys who was, you know, slinging candy bars in middle school? I was running a lawn care business. Yeah. So, my dad was not an entrepreneur himself. He he ran a he did run a company for about uh, five years before I was born, up until I was about three years old, and he ended up shutting it down. It could, didn't quite work. He was a, he was a contractor, framer, um, yep. you know, builder, working out working with his hands and, and running crews. Um, and he's super charismatic, an amazing salesperson. He can convince people to do and be excited about pretty much anything. And he got me excited about small business as a as a youngster, but it wasn't really in a in a sexy, incredible, hey, let's watch Shark Tank together and think about business ideas. It was more like, <laughs> hey, Nick, uh, get out on the mower and you know while your while your friends are working for six twenty five an hour at Subway, um, you can go around and, and mow lawns and make thirty five forty bucks an hour in two thousand six, two thousand five, and right. um, it just kind of went from there. And I realized pretty quick that hey, 
if I can make, um, if I can go out and sell a little bit and run my own thing and make 35 bucks an hour as a, as a 14 year old on a lawnmower, then why would I, why would I accept, uh, kind of working for normal wage when I'm in college, trying to make some extra money or just out of college when you get offered, you know, 50 grand a year to go slave away in corporate America. Yeah. So did you, right out of college, did you go and start your own company? Um, well, I, the, the lawn care stuff was when I was 14. I didn't have my driver's license yet. And I actually got some clients that owned some commercial real estate in, in the town nearby me. So I had to hire a high schooler to drive me around and paid them <laughs> 15 bucks an hour. So that's when I got the first taste of delegation and how sweet it is when all of a sudden you can hire somebody for 15 bucks an hour and you can get done twice as fast. And my hourly wage went from 35 to about 60 bucks an hour. Like, wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, <Right. laughs> but no, it went, went off to college, gave, handed that business off to my little brother, but went off with some, with some cash in the bank and, and some experience solving problems and just the uncertainty of entrepreneurship and the fact that you have nobody to really turn to when problems happen. Um, Graduated from college with a side hustle slash small business doing pickup and delivery, moving storage, moving in storage for students called Storage Squad. Um, 2011 is when we started that. We got pretty serious about it, grew it. Um, by 2014, 15, when we were, I graduated in 2012. Um, by 2015, we had half a million dollars sitting in the bank and, and, a, and a thriving business. And we were able to invest in a, in a self-storage facility. And, um, we were, we were running a really hard business, pickup and delivery, student storage. We're in, uh, 25 major colleges, 12 States. It all happens at the same time during finals week. When the kids move out, we went from four to six full-time employees to 150 part-time employees that are driving these trucks around. We had to lease warehouses, get boxes everywhere, you know, got to the point where we were doing 7,000 students a year and we were moving, you know, almost 50,000 boxes and items and storing them and moving them back again. So, um, I learned business in the hardest business that there is. It wasn't scalable. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't fun. And looking back, it was one of the worst businesses that exists. Um, <laughs> so by 2015, we had some cash aside and we were like, wow, this self-storage thing over here, we're watching people make way more money than us and have way less stress and way less energy. And they're, frankly, they're not running their businesses very well. Um, so we built a building from the ground up, raised the, raised the capital, kind of bit off a lot. And this is where my father influenced me again to, to kind of go big, gave me the courage to do this as a 25-year-old wide-eyed uh, you know, <laughs> kid, basically. We built this facility, um, went way over budget, solved a bunch of problems, took a, a $1.8 million bank loan, raised another $500,000 from friends and family. My dad was an investor in that deal and he he didn't really have the money to be an investor. He took a mortgage on our house to do it, didn't tell me at the time. So I, I'm glad he didn't because it would have made the whole thing more stressful. <laughs> We got that building opened in 2017 and the rest is kind of history. Once we got that thing open, the operations of a self-storage facility, um, we hit our stride and we got a lot of customers and we filled that building up and we filled it up. And two years later, it was worth 5.2 million, even though we spent 2.9 all in. And we're like, wow. So you're telling me this little thing over here was 20% of our stress, 10% of our work, and it generated more net worth and more value than all the other things that we've done combined. Uh, what are we doing here? And we kind of made a mission to uh, let's buy a couple more storage facilities, use this small business to to pour cash into the real estate game. Um, by 2019, we had tapped our you know our own capital was ran out, but we kept finding deals and we couldn't really raise money. I'm not a, a country club kid or you know had a network of a ton of wealthy people. Didn't know how to raise capital. So uh, we kind of bumped against the wall. We're like, damn, we better keep this small business because we don't have any more access to, to cash to go fuel the real estate empire. Um, and then I got on Twitter in 2020 
and started talking about my deals, talking about how I think about business and started getting face to face via a uh, you know, web conference with some investors and, and raising capital and, and my network just began to explode. And uh, 2021, 2022, you've seen what's happened. We've, we've raised $40 million of outside capital, 99% through Twitter and, and the network, the people that we've met. It's not like I'm advertising, soliciting investment on Twitter, but just meeting people and investors and people who want to get be a part of it. And um, here we are today with a $150 million self-storage portfolio and uh, you know, exploring entrepreneurship in some other areas too with, with some small business endeavors. Man, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, I think the very first thing just for the audience, you know, you generally get into business like four ways, right? Born in a family business, spend seven to 10 years working in an industry, go get your head kicked in a couple of times or find a mentor or maybe some combination of all of those. So you definitely went through the go get your teeth kicked in. The other thing I've also noticed about entrepreneurs, myself included, you kind of go on this first business and you don't even really know what you're doing. And, and generally that first business model is garbage. And you don't realize that until you're way too far into the business to, to kind of pivot. And then the last thing, you know, find a vertical source of income within your business and parlay that into stable cash producing assets. Uh, same kind of strategy that I've deployed as well. And uh, I, I think if you're an entrepreneur um, and you maybe have started on a business that isn't super profitable or super ideal, it's so the best proving ground because every entrepreneur who's gone on to do their second business takes everything that they learned about doing that and then parlay it into the next one. And that's where you see the quote unquote overnight success. It's not an overnight success. They just took six or seven years of getting their head kicked in, realized that's not the business that they want to do. And now they have a playbook, right? Um, and so I think, you know, for our audience, kind of the entrepreneur kind of wanting to make that transition over to the entrepreneur, about 90% of that transition is like head trash. Um, there's all these fears built up. You, you didn't really have that because you started at 14 and you know, for me, I was playing football. I wasn't even thinking about how to make money. I was figuring out how to go play in college, right? So that was my focus. That was my job. But money was just like really foreign thing to me. So when I finally really started making some, you know, call it 10 years into my career, I'm making like $300,000 a year. I got equity in a company that I helped scale from the ground up. I had so much anxiety about making that transition, right? Of like, man, how am I going to pay my mortgage? What about insurance? Benefits, consistency, all these things, right? So What's the mindset shift that we need to make in order to kind of just jump headfirst into the entrepreneurial journey and not be held back by these like ridiculous, which I look back now are so silly. They're things that are just like totally irrelevant. Yep. Um, but what, what's well, the mindset a, that you would recommend? It's a people get the cart before the horse. I mean, when you're in small business or entrepreneurship or you're interested in entrepreneurship, you can you can look at the media. You can look at you know watch Shark Tank. You can look at the people who are down the path. You know you look at Samson. You look at Nick. You look at what they've built, and you're like, wow, I got to start there. That's what I got to do. That's my goal. And I think goals are the worst thing that could happen to a a, a, a non entrepreneur, a entrepreneur. You start mm -hmm. to set those goals. Everybody's like, oh, set set your set big goals, and if you miss, you're going to land among you know set shoot for the stars. You'll land am among the clouds or whatever the stupid saying is. Um, that's not really realistic at all. That's not realistic at all. Mm -hmm. Business is about momentum. You need three things to be really good at business. It's capital, it's a network, and it's skills. Okay, You got to learn how to operate a company, you got to have money, and you got to have uh, the access to the network of people to hire and to get involved and to sell to. Without those things, you're at a tremendous disadvantage. You'll find yourself in a, in a tough business grinding away. But once you get those things built up slowly over time, you can do bigger and bigger and better things. So, so, so many people think, oh, how can I, you know, how can I go make a, Make make a five hundred million dollar startup. How can I go raise this money? How can I replace my three hundred thousand dollar income? And that's the wrong way to think about it. 
Yeah. Um, I got excited about entrepreneurship as a as a 20 year old, and our goal was to put a couple thousand dollars in our pocket. That was our goal. And if we achieved that goal, then we set another one. But it wasn't, oh, I need to, I need a business that can be scalable and can take over the world. I I did a I was in an entrepreneurship class at in my college, and it's the same, you know, entrepreneurship class that everybody gets in where you think of a business idea and you spend this semester working on that business idea. All 20 other kids in the in the class had a business idea of a groundbreaking, um, world-changing idea, whether it be an app, a new invention, a new product. Um, I'm the one who said like, hey, I want to start a, a moving and storage company and pick up college kids' stuff. And I got up there <laughs> and I gave my presentation and the, and the professor almost had lost it, like sprung a gasket on me because he kept asking these questions like, what's your moat? Like, what's your moat? What's going to keep other companies from doing what you do? And I was like, what do you mean a moat? The other company that's making 300 grand a year right here in Ithaca has a freaking clipboard. They're walking around with clipboards. You not understand like we don't need to walk around with clipboards. We can take some orders online. Well, okay. How is it scalable? What are you going to, how's it going to be scalable? And they're like, scalable. It's just me. $300,000. I'm talking like that's way more money than I can go make working at Coca-Cola or, or, you know, for a private equity firm in New York city. And they, it just didn't click. Everybody else is, everybody's looking at me like I got three heads because my business is not scalable. It's not risky. It's not groundbreaking. So, uh, you know, that, that there's my spiel on like the the start, the mindset to actually get started is uh, just set lower goals. That's not a sexy thing to say. That's not something that this, this clip is not going to get go viral on 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 YouTube. Me telling people to set smaller goals. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's. I mean, it's the same thing that I've come to learn. I mean, I have friends, you know, guys just like you doing forty five million dollars a year, and you would never know that they're this crazy, super successful entrepreneur. And they started out with like, you know, one guy in a truck, you know, pouring concrete on the weekends, right? Like they just figured out a gap in the market. And what are most contractors not great at? They're not good at like picking up their phone, responding to bids, showing up on time, having maybe a more technical process. I think we overcomplicate what what it means to revolutionize a market, right? Everybody wants to think about pioneering. And a lot of people died trying to pioneer you know, the United States, it's not, there's a, people, it's not there's a people dying. Strategy. There's people dying right now in the bottom of the ocean, trying to explore the Titanic. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Too many entrepreneurs Don't are like, Hey, that entrepreneurs are like, that's Mount Everest. I got to climb Mount Everest. I got to do this. Yep. I got to do this absurdly difficult thing. I got to try this thing that nobody's ever done before. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I appreciate about you the most is for the longest time, most entrepreneurship to the, the guy showing up on the cover of Forbes magazine, entrepreneur, they're in the news, they're, you know, building spaceships and doing crazy crap like that. And so it's given this, uh, I don't know, disproportionate value on being a revolutionary, being a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk. But truth be told, 70% of the economy is just small business owners. You know, they're, they're people making, you know, one to $2 million a year, top line revenue, maybe taking home $120,000 a year living a great life, having a great business. You don't have to go do uh, Elon Musk things in order to have a successful business. And that's a big part of what we're trying to encourage people to do is most entrepreneurs are really just chasing time freedom. Like I just want control over my time. I want control over Mm -hmm. my money and I want to control over the relationships that I have. And I want more purpose. I want to be more involved with my church or my community or you want to hear the sad, you want to hear the sad part. Yep. Um, Entrepreneurs get into entrepreneurship because they want time freedom. But most of the time, they end up with less time and less flexibility than people with jobs because they don't understand Agreed. that um, 
if you work in your business and every decision ends with you, you don't have a business, you have a job and you have a chaotic, stressful, incredibly difficult job. And there's, there's levels of entrepreneurship. There's the, there's the entrepreneur who has a side gig. It's just them. They're doing one thing. They have no employees. They're making some side money. Then there's the people you're talking about where you can make 100, 200, 300, $500,000 a year running a small business where every decision ends with you, where you have a crew of five people, maybe you have 10 employees, you're a poor delegator, you're delegating tasks only. Like there's two levels of delegation. There's delegating tasks and then there's delegating decisions. And all you're doing is delegating tasks. When there's a problem, it ends with you as the business owner. You're the bottleneck in your business where everything stops with you. Where you and you can do really, really well that way. You can be a, a poor entrepreneur, a poor delegator, a poor manager of people and make great freaking money. There's a ton of yep. people. We both know them. And that's not a bad way to do it. You can do that for 10 or 20 years. You can retire super early with millions of dollars in the bank account. Totally change the trajectory of your family and, and the generations that follow. To cross that chasm and the hardest part of all this and the stuff that so many people are, are unable to do is to really start to delegate decisions in your business. And, and so that people who work for you can solve the problems without you and make the decisions without you and interact with the customers and, and interact in, in dynamic environments where there's not a clear-cut environment but or a clear-cut way to do things, but they can find the way forward without you, the owner, needing to get 100%. involved. As a business owner, your, your, your instinct is always the same. Get out of my way. Let me solve this. I can do a better job. Nobody cares about my business like I do. I know this stuff better than anybody. Your employee brings you a problem. Get out of my way. I can solve it. That can only get you so far. It can get you far. You can make really good money doing that. But how you really cross the, ga- the gap and be able to scale and understand leverage and like get your time freedom, how you get your time freedom back as an entrepreneur is when you start delegating the decisions to other people. And when a problem comes, when, when you have a problem, when you, have, when you have a task that needs done in your business or a decision that needs made, instead of thinking, hey, how can I solve this, this decision? It's who can I get to solve this decision? Instead of, instead of how can I do this or how can I tackle this or how can the business grow? It's who can I get to do this? Who can I get to make that decision? Who can grow my business for me? And when you start to just be a gatherer of people and you're a delegator and you're empowering these people, that's when things can really explode and entrepreneurship can get really fun and you can get time freedom. Um, a lot of things have to happen to get there. You got to be charging yep. enough money to be able to pay these people really well. A decision maker, you're not going to find a decision maker for less than 75 grand a year, a really good decision maker at a higher level role. Like you said, 150, 200, $300,000 a year. These people are assets to you though. Like a lot of business owners are like, wow, that's a huge expense. That's it. Like first thing I, when I'm talking to business owners or even, you know, me back in the day, like Nick, you know, you need to hire somebody for $200,000 a year. I'd be like, wow, that's a big expense. When in reality, yeah. when in reality, that's an asset. That's, that's a, that's an investment. That's not an expense. That's an investment Agreed. so that I can go focus on growth and doing other things and, and growing the empire even more. Yeah. I have this thesis that uh, most entrepreneurs want to be their own boss. Um, and so it prevents them from actually ever thinking about building their business as an asset that could be sold in the future. So one of your competitive advantages as a real estate guy is it's just an asset. It's a business and I'm trying to increase the value. And I'm trying to literally be as hands off as possible so that at some point in the future, I can sell that to another financial buyer, trade up, do a 1031 or something into the next deal. And uh, most business owners are actually getting owned by their business. And so I know, I know you've started to go down the, the business brokerage route as am I. 
And you talk to these people who are ready to sell their business and they're gosh, two, three years out because they are way too integrally involved. And I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine who built a business, you know, doing $26 million a year top line. He's got 30 million in contracts over the next three years. And he gets an offer from a private equity group for 20 million bucks. He's 67 years old, but he's got to stick around for five to seven years. Well, <laughs> he's got to stick around for five to seven years because he's still managing the key relationships. He's still making a lot of big decisions. He's still doing the bidding process, right? So he ended mm-hmm. up taking a different deal that allowed him to retire in six months after he sold the business for $14 million. So it's the difference between wow. him walking away with 20 or walking away with, with 14. Six million wow. bucks is a big difference, right? So we're talking about building an asset. But before we can even get there, right? And I, I think for our audience, like it's that transition point. What's your like one, two, three punch? Like if I was going to go start a business today, what are the most important first three steps that I need to focus on? Because there's a lot of stuff coming at you. Oh, I've got to have a website. I've got to have my business cards. got to have a blueprint. got to have an LLC. Mm-hmm. How do you think about it? I have a very specific one, two, three things that I'm trying to accomplish, but I'd love to know your take. Yeah. So there's, there's plenty of lists online and I have a list too of, if you go to swaystarp.com of like the 20 things that you need to start a business from your LLC to your bank account, to the, to the software I like, to how my, how my employees communicate to all that stuff. But I think if we kind of zoom out and think of more tactical mindset, like these are the bigger things that I need to do. It's, it's picking a customer. Too many people, they start a company, they get all excited and they're willing to take any work and they're just, they're, they're scraping, they're scraping by trying to sell those first couple customers and if you get in a habit as a business owner of competing on price and competing with customers that are going to beat you up on price, A, those customers are tougher to actually service and they're not as good to work with. And B, you can't afford to pay good help and, and hire good talent if you're competing on price. I think as right. a business, you have you know three areas that you can potentially compete. You have price. You can compete on price. You can be the cheapest option. There's speed. You can get it done tomorrow or you can get it done in a month because you're booked out and then you have quality like i hey i'm gonna i'm gonna literally do a better job than the other options that you have we are the best you can't compete on all three of those you cannot be the highest quality the fastest and the lowest price that's not possible you can be two of them okay you can be two of them i can be high quality and i can be cheap but it's going to take you three months to get work done from me because i'm booked out and i got a customer list that's that's a mile long hey you can be uh you know not very high quality at all, low quality, but cheap and fast. But, you know, obviously, you know, which two I like to compete on. I like to be high quality and fast. And I like to charge people a premium, charge people a premium yep. and find customers who are willing to pay a premium. There's a massive difference. I, 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 I see this all the time. I post online and I, I was recommending a, a software. I was recommending a software that costs $300 a month to run a small business. And half the tweets are like, holy cow, those those features like for this that's a, that's a bargain and the other half were like why would i ever spend $300 for a feature set to run my company there's just people that play different games there's people who play different games guys there's people that are yep. out there scraping by to make 5 grand a month and pay their rent and feed their family and there's people who are out there building businesses that generate 50 100 250,000 dollars a month in in cash flow do business with people who are making money like step 1 do business with people who are making money because people who are making money are willing to pay good money for really good shit fast. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I, I think too we just like overcomplicate it. Like, go get revenue, start building trust, start building brand, 
use that social proof to then take that to the next layer of echelon of customer that you want to go after. Trust is built on the back of four things, integrity, intent, capability, and results. I think that's why you've been so successful Mm -hmm. is you continually show up every single day. They know that you're not a fly by night, like social influencer. You build in public. Um, You're raw and real. You just, you're willing to take it on the chin. Sometimes I really appreciate that about you. It's just, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Somebody says, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And you go, interesting. Tell me more. Right. And you've used that. And so people realize that like, Oh, this guy is actually leveraging this platform as a way to learn and grow. And then you, you know, you parlay that into this build in public. So like we got at the beginning of this, this podcast, we got on and I said, man, I feel like I already know you so much. Uh, So it's just a tremendous relationship builder. And so I think most entrepreneurs need to spend more time on that part of their business of like, Hey, go out, do good work, leverage that reputation, tell that story, build in public. And there's, like you said, it's a momentum play. I think there's one skill set that kind of, there's one skill set that makes entrepreneurship feasible or not feasible. And it's sales. It's sales. If you're sitting there, in your office right now, or you're commuting to a job you don't like, or you're thinking about getting into entrepreneurship and you want to make something happen, but you are afraid to have uncomfortable conversations with people, if you're afraid to pick up the phone and ask somebody for something, if you're afraid to sit down in an interview with a potential employee and sell them on your vision and your mission, and 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 you're not a good salesperson, then you are going to fail, period. 100%. Now, I'm not talking about the people who just say they're bad at sales because they're afraid of it. I'm talking about the people who are just un- are afraid of those uncomfortable conversations. You talk about pain to profit. All you're doing as an entrepreneur all day long is having painful conversations with people to profit afterwards. And if you're selling something, you're selling you're selling all day as an entrepreneur. I don't care who you are. You're selling. Obviously, you're selling your customers. You need their money. You're yep. also selling your employees to come and make a huge life change to come and work for you. That is a massive job to sell them. You're selling your vendors and your contractors to sell to you. You're selling them on you being a good customer to work with. You're selling all day, nonstop. Even your employees, when it comes to telling them what to do and managing them, you can't make people do anything. They have they do things because they want to do them. Your job as a boss is to make them want to do the right things by selling them on the fact that they're the right things. So all day, nonstop, you're in sales mode. If you don't like sales as an entrepreneur, uh, you're toast. Your toast. Yeah. I see that trap a lot with, um, I'd say like artisan and like engineer type people really good at like product design, really good at doing the work, but they, they have railroad track thinking. I got one job. I booked one deal. Okay. Pick my head up. Oh crap. There's nothing. There's no more coming down the pipeline. So my recommendation has always been, if you have a good idea and you're more an engineer type, you need to know that about yourself and you need to go find somebody who is that salesperson to partner up with and then respect their work. Right. Engineers mm-hmm. also have a tendency to be like, uh, well, you don't really know anything about the product. It's like, well, the product doesn't exist if we don't have revenue. So, so, you know, there's a, you kind of referenced it, but there's a good book who, not how, I think that's key in finding a good partnership. Um, there's a whole graveyard of great ideas that failed to launch because there was no marketing and there was no sales. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. The, the, so, real, the best piece of advice that I've, so one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever heard is that you could be, you could be anywhere in the world and if you got a bag full of gold bars, if you got a bag full of gold bars, they are completely worthless unless you know how to sell them. 100%. That's it. What What would you say has been the hardest part of your journey? 
you know, I, th- I think like people, again, they look at you, you've been at, in the game for a long time since you were 14, mm-hmm. but are there any distinct moments like the, the painful, hard parts that really forged you as an entrepreneur? I think as an entrepreneur, people underestimate the amount of times that your ego gets crushed and you have to yeah. change your mind on something. Um, I'm, I'm naturally stubborn. I naturally think that I'm right. I'm, I naturally have confidence and, and, uh, you know, just strengthen my ability. I, I have a, I have a positive mindset on, on how I think about things. And the amount of times that I've been humbled by being wrong is, um, it's kind of, it's developed what is now one of my superpowers and that I'm incredibly open-minded and I'm willing to change my mind on a dime. I am willing to change my mind because I'm searching for the correct answer and the truth and the, the good information, not just stuff that supports my point of view. So many entrepreneurs and me, when I was in, just starting out, it was, it was high speed, it was full speed, and I was looking for stuff that supported my point of view, information. And I was ignoring the shit that, that I was ignoring the people and the information that disagreed with me. And it led to some painful stuff and some bad decisions. And it just, I had to grow. I had to grow as an individual who then understood, hey, uh, you know, an entrepreneur who's doing a lot and has a lot going on, they're going to make two, two, 300 key decisions in a year in their business. Two or 300 key decisions, one a day. And if, and it, look, everybody's going to get a hundred of them wrong. Everybody, even the best entrepreneurs yeah. are going to get a hundred of them wrong. You got to be able to learn from those and get the, get the important, the, the 10 important make or break decisions. You got to get those right. But another thing about entrepreneurship is that's just so hard about all this is that there's no guidebook. There's no right way. There's no two ways that are alike. I can study your journey, Samson. I can study books on Elon Musk and, and Steve Jobs and I can, I can try to mimic their thought process and the decisions that they would have made. And I can get good advice from people. I can go get coffee from people who are rich and they're going to tell me things that are not applicable to my life. My, yeah. It's not, it's not going to work for me. What works for them is not going to work for me. So every decision you make every single day is a why in the road. You come up to a why and you got to choose whether you're going to go left or right. And so many times, both are right. Both will work. Both can get you there. There's a million ways to win. There's a million ways to do this. So that's why decision-making and, and business is so hard and you got to change your mind pretty often. Yeah. And it, I think it's important too, because sometimes you're actually making a sacrifice because of maybe how it impacts your family, the stress it might put them under, the amount of travel it might require of you, something to that extent. So I think it's also incredibly important to just be real of like your lifestyle design. You know, some people are perfectly okay working a hundred hours a week and neglecting their family. I know for me, that's not the case. So I tend to agree with you or how do I, how do I work 300 hours a week? How do I work 400 hours a week? It's leveraging other people's time, right? And so mm-hmm. time is just a, is money. It's a, it's a currency. And so I, I think that, um, there's a trap for most entrepreneurs is they'll go get advice from somebody who doesn't actually align with their core values. It doesn't align with their lifestyle design. And so you're getting advice from somebody who, you know, has been divorced four times and works 150 hours a week or whatever, something crazy like that. and uh, it's, it, it's a, it's erroneous to your decision-making process. It's a trap. Was there, yeah, I, was there ever a point I, where you, oh, go ahead. I, I did the math. I'm working about 3000 hours this week. I'm working 3000 yeah. hours this week. I'm working about 30 and my money is working 2,970. Let's go. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> You're giving people was money there ever a point? in exchange for in labor. <laughs> was there ever a point where you felt like quitting? 
or just like a uh, oh, super yeah. low point? I mean, th- look, th- yeah, this is hard all the freaking time. It's it's people look at my Twitter, they follow me, and they think, wow, this guy's just living the freaking dream. Like he's starting these companies, he's got all this cash flow, he's got all this fun stuff going on. It doesn't get easier. It's like a, a, a Olympic track athlete. I, I don't know if it was Prefontaine or somebody said, you know running the mile doesn't get easier as you get better. You just get faster. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Like you're still going to have levels, new devils, right? There's, I mean, there's new problems as you reach a new echelon and the pressure gets higher. Frankly, um, my, my ability to handle stress. I, I consider that a muscle too. Like I've trained that a lot. My stress tolerance. There are people who live not very stressful lives at all. They don't even know what real stress is. And if they have a flat tire on the way home from work, it'll ruin their week. Them being on the side of the road, they'll have a panic attack. They're in, they're in serious mental anguish because their tire got flat on I-65. Yep. I had a t- I, have, I could have a flat tire on the way home from work and I could forget to tell my wife about it at the dinner table because it is a non-issue. Because you, exactly. you get like the problems get bigger. You think... Elon Musk gets stressed about stressed about one of his employees quitting when he was, you know, 24 hours from bankruptcy, you know, in the in the early days of SpaceX. I mean, the the level of the decision making just just goes up and the pressure gets higher. I have now 300 plus families that are indirectly related to my businesses that are getting supported by me guiding these and making these correct decisions as a business owner. And that gets stressful. And the most stressful part of being an entrepreneur is um, you just have people's lives on the line. It's not just you anymore. In the early days, 100%. and some people are selfish enough or they're just you know, in the zone enough where they can operate and not really care about the human toll of what they're doing. But if I'm going to sit down and sell somebody, I'm coming to join my company and join my mission and I'm telling them how it's going to work and what I'm going to do and I can't deliver and my company starts to fail and I got to let that person go, that's... That's my fault. Like that's stressful. That person literally stopped what they were doing, went to work for my company and making that their career move. Like they're spending valuable, like everybody only works for 40 years. They're spending one, two, three, five years with me to come in and earn a living and build wealth and accomplish all their goals and feed their family and put their kids in school. And if I can't deliver that, that's some of the, those are some of the toughest conversations that I, that I have, whether the people can't hack it or I make a poor decision that the business is just not doing well enough to be able to support them. When you jumped all into entrepreneurship, did, uh, did you have a family? Did you know your wife at that time? No, I've, I've actually, I've never had a W2 ever. Yeah. Not one. So, so I, but when I you, started, I started when the business you, when I was 21 and I met my wife that year, but we didn't get married until I was until 2016 when I was 26. Yeah. So would you, would you have done it differently? It's hard to say, right? Because you've just never experienced it. But if you had a family, would that change the way that you? I think it would have made it harder. I, yeah, it would have made it the harder. The reason I ask is just our audience is, you know, kind of wrestles with that, myself included, at one point in time. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's way, way easier to take risk when you don't have uh, a mortgage and kids and bills and a wife that's depending on you. Yeah, the. But I mean, look, we we live in America and most people in America have, if they've, you know, if, they're, if they have the means to be listening to the show, if they're interested in making money, let's be honest, most of them have 
a stable life around them. Not everybody, not everybody's blessed to have a stable life around them, but I like to sometimes I'll, I'll do this with my wife. And when we're, when we're making a tough decision or when there's a, when we're at a crossroads where we're trying to figure out you know, where we're going to move or, you know, if I was going to build that first building and, and sign on that, you know, $1.9 million loan to, to, to give a personal guarantee, we're making these big decisions. And we would just think like, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Let's write it down. Like what is the worst thing that could come of all this? And it almost always ended up with us moving in with our, with our parents for a few years, getting a new job, making a lot of money because of the experience that you have and continuing on. Yep. So like you, you, you kind of tend to overemphasize the downside, overemphasize the downside. And yes, 150 years ago, or even, you know, less in, in many countries, if you fucked up and didn't have any money, your family could starve. Your family right. could literally starve to death. We don't live in that world anymore. We have backstops in place in our society that are really a blessing. It'd be nice if we had a couple more, obviously, you know, and you could not worry about <laughs> having a health crisis that you can't pay for. But, you know, for the, for the most part, we're very lucky to be in the United States and, and uh, the downside risk of, of trying something is a lot lower than most people think. I love that. Yeah. Perspective. So good. You're constantly having to reshape your paradigm as you kind of go through these hard, hard points. And that's kind of that muscle, right? Of like, how do you handle stress? You can quickly reframe it. And the, the context could be way worse than a flat tire, for example. <laughs> you know, you, you may tell you the bad news. The sad part of this though, the, the sad part of this is that most people are not good delegators. Most people are not good decision makers. I mean, if the average American could make good decisions, the average American wouldn't be broke and have less than $500 in their checking account and overweight. Like, let's be real. The average, yep. this is average. The 50th percentile American is broke. They're overweight and they have, you know, they don't know, they don't know, they don't own anything. They, they have negative net worth and they don't, they've never managed anybody. They don't know how to delegate. They don't know how to sell. So just encouraging anybody off the street to go in and start a business is not, <laughs> I, I don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. I used to do that early in my <laughs> career that everybody should be an entrepreneur. Everybody should be an entrepreneur. Everybody should be an entrepreneur. Then I kept hiring people and getting to know more and more people and realizing that, holy cow, most people are really freaking bad at making decisions. <laughs> most people are not good. Most people are not freaking good at telling other people what to do. Most people are not very organized. Most people um, just don't simply don't have it. And like we, I talk, I tweet and talk all the time about how, entrepreneurship is an amazing thing. You should go start a business, you know, change the world, do what you want to do, make a bigger life. Some of the happiest people I know work a 40 hour job. They clock in, they clock in on Monday morning and their goal all week is to do as little as possible and make and still get paid next Friday and not get fired. That's their goal. And they get home at five o'clock and they do whatever they want in their free time. And they have a lot of other things that they're really passionate about. They have families, they have deep relationships, they have a ton of joy in their life. And they are some of the happiest people I know. And some of the entrepreneurs that I know, so many of them are tied to their, they, ha, they don't own businesses, they own jobs. They have a ton of stress. They have no flexibility. They don't see their kids. And they're fucking grumpy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. You know, one of the things I've heard you say is how pivotal Twitter was in your business. You know, now you have like over 300,000 subs on Twitter. I think I looked, you have 45,000 on LinkedIn, 24,000 on YouTube. Pillar podcast, sweaty startup. 
Got 1.9 million square feet of storage. I think you're doing, last time I heard, close to 50 million top line across all your companies. Is that still accurate? Yeah. Yeah. But I have, I have investors. That's, the majority, that's the storage business. Um, I, yep. I'm, my personal cash flow is about 200 to 250,000 a month. Yep. Um, but that wasn't the case five years ago. No. So I, I want to talk more about that. Like, what was the catalyst to say, I'm going to go all in on Twitter? And, mm-hmm. um, and why that platform? Turns out you need three things to really make a lot of money and you need a network, you need distribution and you need capital. And Twitter and social media brought me all three of those things at the same time in a major way. It's like you can have a, you can have a bag of gold bars anywhere in the world, but if you don't know how to sell them, they're worthless. You don't have anybody willing to buy them. They're worthless. And all of a sudden I got, I got distribution. I got a ton of customers and I run a real estate private equity company. So my customers are my investors. Like that's my number one customer. The number one customer I serve in my real estate business is my investor. Number two is my tenant. Um, and I got just, just access to capital and, and a network of people that are willing to join my team and come work for me. And those three things are uh, what, what changed everything for me and accelerated my career 40 years and three years. Why not pick like LinkedIn over Twitter or something like that? I could have picked LinkedIn over Twitter. Um, I just happened to get lucky and got encouraged to come on Twitter. And a, and a friend of mine had, I think, 2,500 followers when he told me to get on Twitter and he started interacting with my stuff and I got my first 500 followers pretty quick. And then from there, it's a lot easier. The first 500 followers are the hardest. You're tweeting into the oblivion. <laughs> but I mean, look, the everybody asks me, hey, Nick, I want to get a Twitter following. How do I get a Twitter following? How do I do it? And my my answer is another one that nobody wants to hear. It's another unsexy thing in that Hey, you got to do something worth worthwhile in life. If you're not doing interesting stuff, nobody wants to follow you. Nobody. If you're going to regurgitate yep. stories of other people, if you're going to write, you know, well and be a kind of a journalist on Twitter, you can gain a following, but it's not going to be a valuable following. There's a few people who have been able to do it. They're just such good writers, such hard workers that they can they actually can work themselves into hundreds of thousands of followers and a very valuable following. Most of the time, that's that's just absolutely not the case. Um, the way to do it, I mean, you look at look at the list, look at the top three hundred people who are followed on Twitter. They're all famous people, top one percent athletes in the world, and entrepreneurs who are making a lot of money. So, like, step one is to do something interesting. And I had started the business. We had built that building. We had created a lot of value, and I was talking very openly about it. And you can't be afraid to brag on yourself. I mean. I, I like to think that in person, I'm a humble guy. Many people would disagree, but um, I t- tell people how good I am on Twitter. It's uncomfortable, but if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to say, hey, here is how much storage I have and here's how we did it. Hey, here's how much revenue my business has. Here's how we did it. Hey, here's why you should follow me and why I'm worth following. You have to scream it at the top of your lungs over and over and over again. And it's uncomfortable, but that's how you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a difference between confident and cocky, right? And so if you're not confident and you hang around confident people, you feel uncomfortable. Um, but the fact that you said it's uncomfortable to brag on yourself is a, is a sign of humility. Like it does feel at first a little slimy, right? Um, 
until you kind of figure out your knack or how you, how you communicate it in a way that you're not really bragging as much as you're saying, here's how I did it and you can do it too. And that's what I appreciate most about your content. Why do you think every real entrepreneur, not entrepreneurs, but people who are serious about doing what we're doing, why do you think they should be creating content and why is it important in the long run? If you are already achieving all of your goals, if you already have the reach that you want financially and economically and business-wise, there is no reason to get on social media. There's a lot of negative too. There's the addiction that comes, the dopamine hits, the super mean people, the crabs in a bucket mentality of social media, all the jealous people who don't want to see people win that are just so mean. I mean, look at any, any notable account from LeBron James to Joe Biden to Grant Cardone to me, to little old me. Look at any of our tweets and 75% of the responses are, hey, fuck you, you should die. <laughs> That's what the responses say. <laughs> yeah. Because they, there's so many people that are sitting in their parents' basement. And look, life is fucking hard. It really is. Life is hard. So when you see people winning at life, it makes you feel worse about yourself. Period. Period. So I get it. I understand why it happens. I understand the psychology behind it. But so if you already have those three things, network, capital, and distribution, if you already have those three things, no reason at all to get on Twitter. But if you have bigger goals, if you want more customers, if, you want, if you'd like access to more investment or partners, or you'd like to attract talent to come into your organization and work with you, there is no better place than social media to grow, to do that stuff. So do you think though that in the kind of the next era, right? I mean, 1983, the internet came on board. It's the same time when the baby boomers were stepping up to the helm as the kind of the leaders of entrepreneurs. And those days are gone. And so my thesis on it, like that strategy once upon a time worked really, really well. But in kind of the next era of business, when you talk about who your future customer is going to be and how they think about trust, um, I'll use insurance, the insurance industry, because I got some experience. One of the companies we own is in that space, coaching and training for insurance professionals. There's all these guys who have like been in the business for 40 years. They know more about benefits than any other person on the planet. Um, and then all of a sudden you see this young guy come along. He's you know 24 years old, just getting out of college, got his finance degree, who understands the platforms. And he just starts smoking these old dogs and they can't figure it out. But their response to it is, you know, yeah, he got lucky, right? Um, so my take on it is in in the next gen, the next era, that you're not going to be able to hide from it at some in some way, shape, or form as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of a real company. You're going to have to have some sort of presence. You're going to have to have some sort of authority. And and you see it. Like I, when I talk to people who are struggling to hire, I go, tell me more about your recruiting strategy. They're like, oh, we have a page on our website. I'm like, but do you think about recruiting talent like they're a lead? right? What's the story? Why would they want to come work for you and trade their most important asset, which is time to come work at your organization? What's it like to work there? Show me under the hood. Who are you, right? I mean, there's a, a ton of mistrust with the, the corporate world right now. So I think as entrepreneurs who are trying to build bigger things, we got to do a good job of just showcasing who we are authentically. You can't, you won't be able to escape it. That's my take. The whole thing is this, this whole world is about leverage. This whole world is about yep. leverage. And Look, I can, I can go to rooms full of people and talk. I can, maybe I'll get a speaking engagement at a conference with 300 business people and I can, and, and they'll listen to the way I think about something for a few minutes before they, you know, start, start, you know, their mind starts wandering and they start, you pick up their phone and start thinking about something else. Or I can get on Twitter 
and I can spend three minutes thinking about a, a thought and I can hit the send button and in the next 24 hours, it'll reach two or three or five college football stadiums full of people. It'll go right into their mind. My thought goes right into their mind. That's mind blowing. That's mind blowing. If you think about yeah. what that can what that can mean for you as a business as a business owner, as somebody who's going to offer professional services, as somebody who's going to raise capital, as somebody who look what what's your goal as an entrepreneur? And I think your goal is the same as mine. It's influence as many people in a positive way as possible. Period. Like that's the goal. When I die, I'm trying to get that number as high as possible. I want to build millionaires inside of my company. I want to influence more customers. I want to change the way people think. I want to I want to leave my mark on the world. There's no better way to do that than getting distribution and capital. <laughs> so yeah, it, exactly. it, 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 uh, it, it aligns perfectly with my goals. How do you, how do you stay consistent creating that much content? I mean, you pump out a ton of content. Are you pre-thinking? Is it all off the cuff? Like do you pre-write it? Do you use some platforms, some tools to support you in that? So I have a team. I, um, I'd say up until about six months ago, it was just me. It was just me tweeting whenever I felt like tweeting and I would just write and I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a prolific content creator. I was born with it. Um, some people who are brilliant writers, they write amazing copy. They've had a ton of practice writing. It's painful for them to generate content. They can't do it. They, they just don't like it. It doesn't come to them naturally. They got to really work at it. I'm the kind of guy who, hey, I don't care what people think. So I'll send out half-baked stuff without ne- needing to be perfect. That's a huge part of it. I don't care if people get upset at me or disagree with me or I change my mind on something. That's a win. So I have a half-baked opinion that I don't even strongly hold that opinion. Like I have, I have very strong opinions that are loosely held and I will tweet them so that I get smarter and I will send them out in the world because I don't care what people think about me. That's another one of my superpowers. But look, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I can create a ton of content quick and it just comes and comes and comes and comes and comes. I can't sleep very well because I can't turn it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I, I can tell. I can tell you're you do your own, you do your own stunts. That's what I get from it. What's your daily routine? How do you, how do you take care of the most important stuff? We're talking a lot about business, but you're a family guy. You have a, a, a young daughter. Is that right? I have a five-year-old so boy, three-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got multiple kids. I, gosh, I just saw the picture mm-hmm. of, of um, your wife Baby and Julia. your youngest yeah. this morning. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you take care of that? I mean, that's the most important stuff like, you know, your faith, your family, your physical health, uh, in relationships with your friends, you know, how do you, how do you keep that in check? I'm a, I'm one of the entrepreneurs who has a lot of other hobbies. I'm a, I'm a curious person. I could get, somebody could say, Hey Nick, we're getting on a plane and we're going to Alaska and we're spending three weeks up there and we're just going to try to survive. And I, I, I'm crazy. I think that that like adventuring is doing fun is fun for me. Like str- struggling with something, whether it be golf, weight training, you know, cycling, um, fishing, all these, th- all these hobbies are nothing but work. Like, let's be real. They're nothing but ch- mental challenges and things you got to work towards to get good at. And I love, I love pushing myself and challenging myself and, um, hobbies are a big part of it. So I'm not a one dimensional entrepreneur, but I look at life that, can, uh, 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 what do you call something? You, you say something that means something else like a heuristic. I look at life, yeah. I look at life as, like there's seven or eight gardens that I have to water my physical body. I have to, I have to keep my physical body in good shape with the way I eat and the way I move. My relationship with my wife is another one, my faith, my businesses, my relationships with my friends, 
my kids and my hobbies. Those are my gardens that I need to water. And my life is all built around like build really strong foundations so that you can have fun and you can live life and you can screw around a little bit and still have a very healthy, well-balanced life. If you have a really strong foundation with physical fitness and you've been in shape your whole life, you've never let yourself go for periods of time and then tried to bring it back and let yourself go and bring it back. If you have a strong foundation, you can go a month without working out and you're okay. Your body's going to be just fine. If you have a really strong relationship with your wife and you trust each other and you communicate really well and you have time with each other to really build trust, you can go to a conference for a week without talking to her and grind in your business for a week or a month or whatever it, whatever it takes and the, and the relationship won't fall apart. You won't go at each other's throats. If you have a really strong relationship with your friends, same thing. You know, every area of life, if you have a strong foundation, you can have balance and you can, you can neglect certain things for short periods of time and get away with it. What happens, what happens when things go wrong is you neglect those things for too long. If you neglect those things for too long, it all falls apart. But I like to think that I can live a balanced life. I'm, I don't care if I have, if I'm in the red on my whoop, whoop score, you know, two nights a week. Um, I don't have to have a perfect routine to where I can't do anything fun and even go out to eat with friends. I want to be a person that can have fun, build businesses, have good relationships, have a good marriage, have good relationship with my kids. I, I'm the kind of guy that wants it all. So I don't have a super, uh, you know, structured routine. I, I, uh, take care of business and have fun. Yeah. And you, you just have a natural uh, measurement stick in your head of, of those mm-hmm. things and how they're being watered. And, and you're also probably looking at your own cup, like my, man, my cup's a little empty, man. I need to go do some adventure and kind of break away from the business and you come back and you're recharged and you got more clarity. And, and so that, that's a skill too. That's something you just get better with at time. But uh, thank you for sharing those pillars. I think that's something that people are just kind of unaware of. They're just kind of letting life happen to them and they're not being intentional and they don't really have a way to look at those gardens and say, oh man, this one's being a little bit neglected. So what's, uh, what's keeping you awake at night right now? You know, you've, you've, you've been on the journey. I, I would, you know, I would call you a Yoda, right? You're a Yoda to somebody else who's listening to this right now. And it's always interesting to unpack like what you're thinking about, what you're looking around the corner on economically, financially mm-hmm. strategizing, both positive yeah, and negative, so, like what's keeping uh, you awake at night? One very real thing is that the real estate market is in chaos right now. Um, interest rates have went from 3% to 7% in, in the course of a year. And I own a lot of real estate and I'm I'm the steward of a lot of people's capital. So right. I spend a lot of time thinking and making sure that we're protecting risk in the right way over there. Um, I think we're going to be fine and it's going to be just another season, but there's going to be a lot of pain in the real estate market that definitely keeps me awake a little bit. Also, we have, I have four other, five other companies that I've started in the past six months and starting in business from the ground up it's service business and agency. Um, that's not easy stuff. I mean, you, you could be the best operator in the world in month, month three to month 12 when you start a business is brutal. No matter how many times you've done it, no matter how good you are, no matter how good your team is, you're not having fun in the startup from three to 12 month one to three. It's fun because things are happening. It's moving. You're making a lot of progress. You're learning a lot. You're getting those first couple of customers. You're making those first hires. It's exciting. The measuring stick, like you can see, oh my God, our website's here. Oh my gosh, our first customer's here. Oh my gosh, our bank account has a little bit of money in it. 
all those things are exciting. When the three-month mark hits, you start to get a little tired. You're working long hours. You got to make some hires. There's a couple of those hires aren't working out. You got to let them go. You got to hire again. A couple of customers are being a pain in the ass. The deliverable processes aren't right. You got to build the systems. And uh, so we're in the thick of it with about four businesses and actually more like six businesses. And it's a, it's a, I got a good team though. It's fun. Love that. Well, we'll land the plane. What do you think the difference is between entrepreneurs who are successful and those who give up, quit, or never get started? I think a big chunk of entrepreneurs just don't have it. I, I, I The more I try to teach entrepreneurship, the more I try to talk about this stuff, the more fatalistic I'm getting about some people just not having the ability to do this stuff. It's hard. And some people, yep. most people are better off getting a job. And then the other part of it is that delegating and getting other people to make decisions for you and, and getting a, who am I going to get to do this attitude instead of a, how am I going to do this attitude is really hard too. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's let it feel, you feel like you're letting go of control. Um, and the first part, the first steps of that are really, really hard and you can't build a business without it. When you build a business and you're starting a business and you have your own customers, you have your own employees, you have full ownership over it, your name's on it maybe, your whole identity as a man is is tied up in this business and you start delegating serious parts of it to other people that aren't as good at it as you and you got to accept a little loss and you got to accept some overhead and you got to deal with problems that arise in those areas. That is such a hard step that so many people are not willing to make. They can make it. They're just not willing to make the investment in the in the salary of the decision makers. They're not willing to delegate those decisions. They're not willing to uh, pass the reins to their employees and trust their employees to get stuff done. But once you know how to do that, then it's onward and upward. Love that. All right, man. Well, that's a wrap. How does our audience keep up with your story? Take advantage of all the free content you're putting out. You got some great courses. Um, how do they get involved? What, what if they want to be an investor? What's the best way to, to make that? So I have a, happen? if you're an accredited investor, you can go to invest.boltstorage.com or you can go to nickhuber.com if you're more interested in investing in small business. So the real estate thing is uh, Bolt Storage. Um, the, if you want to invest in some small businesses, which we're kind of building a, a family office style private equity firm, um, you can go to nickhuber.com. But just getting a look into how I think about business and, and entrepreneurship and management and delegation and hiring, which can happen if you're an employee, can happen if you're an entrepreneur. Um, the best thing that you can do is go sign up for my newsletter. I spend about two or three hours a week writing. It's it's between 1,000 and 4,000 words each week. And it's on real estate, small business, hiring, management, delegation. Um, and I you can sign up for that at sweatystartup.com. I send a weekly email. And then, yeah, follow me on Twitter at sweatystartup. Love it. We'll put it all in the show notes, man. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you better be prepared to delegate, to elevate, be incredibly uncomfortable, and you need access to capital, network, and attention. And uh, I think there's no better guy to go follow than Nick Huber at Sweaty Startup. And uh, I appreciate you being here, man. I can't wait to do the next one. Samson, this was a great interview. You're very good at this, and um, I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks.